Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. It is certainly a pleasure and an honor to be with you. I want to welcome everyone who's tuned in online and to participate with us in this most holy day and most holy observation. We are part of something great. For the last two millennia, the kingdom of God continues to be preached, continues to be proclaimed. And now it is up to us and our generation to continue that throughout this new millennia. You know, only in the last few hundred years, this idea of democracy has become popular. For most of human history, nations have been governed by kings, by royalty, and some of the most dramatic and interesting events in history have centered around the rise and the fall of various kings and kingdoms. The Roman Empire, for example, the dynasties of Egypt and China, the great monarchies of France and England, all have made a lot of good history and also a lot of drama. The very names of certain kings bring rich memories and wonderful stories to mind, like Charlemagne and Louis XIV in France, King Arthur, King Henry VIII in England, Peter the Great, Ivan the Terrible in Russia. Each has its own story and history to tell. And the book of Matthew is no different. The book of Matthew is also the story of a king, not necessarily a political figure like Caesar, but a king nonetheless. From first to last, Matthew describes a king who establishes his kingdom, not in the traditional way that we may uh, have read or know about, but he claims his right to the throne and he fights with those who oppose his reign and who calls now men everywhere, not just of his kingdom in the past of when he was present here, but now calls men everywhere, this present and in the future, to bow the knee to his rule. The book of Matthew has been called the royal gospel. It's about King Jesus and the necessity of accepting his reign in our lives. Unfortunately for us, we come to this book with a big handicap. We cannot comprehend what living under a king really means, unless you had very authoritarian parents. We haven't experienced what it means to bow down before royalty, to pledge our lives to the king's service, to obey without question or delay, to yield to someone else's absolute authority. In some ways, our nation kind of fights those things. In some ways, our generation here fights those very ideas. Uh, and democracy is unfitted, has unfitted us for living under a king. But the message of Matthew is that Jesus is king, not was king, is king. And we must either accept the fact and bow before him or reject that claim and rebel against him and his kingdom. So we're going to go through some scriptures here to show us how Matthew proclaims Jesus as king. First of all, uh, Matthew teaches us about Jesus' kingship right from the beginning, right from Matthew 1.1, where we read about the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. He is descended from King David. He's of a royal lineage. So this ties Jesus with all the messianic prophecies about one like David or about the son of David as we read throughout the Old Testament. And, and many peoples recognize Jesus as king, as king and even called him son of David. We have quite a few examples in Matthew about that. We have the two blind men who recognized Jesus. They, they couldn't see him. Obviously, they were blind, but they had heard about him, heard about what he was doing, and they knew the scriptures, and they called out to him, Son of David, help us. We also hear the crowds wondering if Jesus was the one. Is he the son of David? You know, So they all knew these references to this divinic royal line. The Canaanite woman also comes to Jesus very humbly calling him the son of David. Two more blind men uh, later on in Matthew recognize again Jesus and call out to him as the son of David. And when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, all the crowds cheer him on, Hosanna, son of David, they call him. So everyone links Jesus to this royal lineage. Jesus was from the right stock. And not only that, we tie some more scriptures in Matthew because Matthew points out that Jesus was born in a particularly important place for these messianic prophecies. And that was born in Bethlehem, as we read here in Matthew 2 verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Matthew points out this prophecy. And if you keep reading, we hear about the wise men, the magi from the east, looking for Jesus, looking for this king of the Jews. It's amazing that these people who were not familiar with these prophecies still were looking for this king, as we read here in Matthew 2, 1 through 5, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of, the, uh, king of the Jews? They knew that an important person was to be born. They mentioned this star that it rose, and so they come to worship him. Of course, King Herod was pretty disturbed about this because he supposedly was the king, uh, and all of Jerusalem was like, wait, wait a minute, what's going on? What is this? But Herod did call together all the people's chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he asked them. He knew that there had to be some tie-in here to the Messianic prophecies, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, and they, of course, replied, in Bethlehem of Judea. That's where this ruler, this new king, would be born. Matthew then tells us of a very important event in the life of Christ, and that is really the event that launched his ministry. We read about it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 as a starter, where we see that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, whom I love with him I am well pleased. We can look at this event as the coronation of Jesus, the beginning of his ministry, when all authority is given to him to do many, many different things that no one else had done. 
not even since the times of Moses. So certainly Jesus is the son of David. God, right here for everyone to hear, calls him my son whom I love. So not only is he the son of David, but he is the son of God. And, and what kind of, of king would Jesus be? We read here in when Jesus is tempted, soon after he was baptized, he was taken to the, to the desert and he was tempted for 40 days. So we read about his character throughout this trial that he faces. He was tested right away to see what kind of king he would be. So we read here in Matthew 4, 8 through 11, the devil took him to a very high mountain. This is the third uh, temptation, by the way. Uh, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. So Jesus is king, right? He's come as a king. But the devil has in mind of tempting him with the kingdoms of the world, with the splendor of the kingdoms of the world, because the devil knew that he had a very different kingship. And the devil tempts him by saying, hey, I'll give all of this to you. Just bow down. Just worship me. And we know Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we see that even though Satan tries to offer kingdoms to Jesus, not just one kingdom, but many different kingdoms, Jesus rejects his offer with the statement that he would only serve God. He was God's ordained king, the son of David, the son of God. And that's why we hear Jesus after this event preaching the kingdom of God. That became the message of his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So he is God's chosen one. But here, you know, the Pharisees really uh, begin to question Jesus, question his behavior, uh, question his authority. Uh, right after this point, they even started plotting to kill him. They took very personally that message that this, this new guy here all of a sudden appears in the scene, and he starts talking about this kingdom and pointing the people in a different rejection. And so, you know, they demand from Jesus a sign. They're constantly demanding signs from him. Uh, and some do recognize him as the Messiah. Here in Matthew chapter 16, uh, when he asks, who do the people say I am? You know, because Jesus is hearing all kinds of things about him. Oh, he is Elijah, or he is John the baptizer risen from the dead, or, or he is somebody else. So Jesus asked them, who, who do people say that I am? And we hear Simon Peter answering, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So we have testimony from one of the most intimate people in Jesus' circle, proclaiming, you know, close at hand. He was right there, front and center. He knew what Jesus was about. He was seeing his kingdom uh, unfold before him. The authority of Jesus, he had no doubt that he had. So he declares him as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Uh, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Christ is Messiah, but in, in, in the Greek. So, Jesus is not just a prophet. He is Christ. He is God's anointed king. And he says to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, 
And on this rock, I will build my church. So that in the Greek is a play of words. Uh, Peter, you're a little rock, but this declaration that you just made, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, on that rock, on that bedstone, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And that's the kingdom that we're a part of today. It will never, ever die. Jesus is the anointed king. We, have, we are also see uh, that in the context of this kingdom that Jesus is building and preaching about, many start to recognize his royalty, his authority, and the fact that he has been granted a kingdom. We see the mother of Zebedee's sons, the mother of James and John, you know, uh, also part of the inner circle of Jesus. She comes with her son. She grabs one with one hand, one with the other, comes up to Jesus. Here's a very ambitious mom. You know, she wants the best for her sons. <laughs> so she kneels down before him. So she's recognizing him as king as she kneels before Jesus. And Jesus asks her, what is it that you want? She asks, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and another at your left in your kingdom. So she understands that Jesus is a king and that Jesus is proclaiming a kingdom. She believes that wholeheartedly. She might not understand it's a spiritual kingdom. Probably she was thinking in political terms, as many of those present with Jesus, especially his own disciples, thought that this would be a political kingdom that Jesus would usher in. Uh, but nevertheless, they still recognize him as king, and they recognize his kingdom, that he is, that he has a kingdom to rule. When we come to the triumphal entry in Matthew chapter 21, uh, we see of a prophecy that uh, Matthew quotes here. He says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your kingdom comes to you gentle. Your king, sorry, comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that was a, a big prophecy that Matthew includes here to kind of, again, uh, show us how this is all being fulfilled, that Jesus' royal lineage, Jesus' kingship, is fulfilling all the scriptures, even Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a colt. So we see all the scriptures. Matthew is painting us a picture here to the Jews mainly, because Matthew is written specifically to the Jewish mindset, which is why he quotes all of these Old Testament prophecies. He has Jesus' genealogy. He, he's really making it easy to the student to connect all the dots and seeing that Jesus is this king that God uh, had planned for him to come, this son of David, this royal uh, Christ coming from the son of David, uh, coming from the lineage of David, the son of God, and establishing a kingship, a, a rule, a rulership, a, a kingdom here for everyone. And so the great question now before Jesus is, who are you? Because the Jews were uh, upset with what was going on. You know, he was rocking their, their boat uh, as Herod was upset when the Magi came to him and wanted to worship this new king. Herod was like, what king? I'm the king. So similarly now, at the end of Jesus' ministry, you know, all these people who were upset, all these people who were rejecting Jesus, wanted to know who he really was. They, they weren't ready to accept his kingship. And so when they bring him before the Sanhedrin, that's when they got him from the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, they bring be him before this 
Sanhedrin before this court at night, uh, and Jesus remained silent before them. But the high priest, as we read here, said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you're this Messiah. Now, of course, Jesus was telling them all the time. It's not like he wasn't. He was telling them by the authority that he taught, by the way that he uh, took care of the diseases. He healed everyone. He, he cast out demons. He stopped the winds. He, he calmed the seas. I mean, everything about him was declaring his absolute authority. But some people who were rejecting his kingship from the very start were just blind to all those things. And that kind of gives us insight that if we're not ready to accept Jesus' kingship, we're going to be blind to the most obvious things that God is doing in our lives. Because I'm sure that as you read these scriptures, uh, when I do, I'm like, well, weren't these people seeing that he was the Messiah all along? What did I miss here? But it's really what they missed because they were blind to Jesus, blind with jealousy, blind with pride, just full of unbelief, really. And Jesus tells them here in verse 64, you have said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming unto the clouds of heaven. So Jesus plainly declares it to them as if he hadn't before clearly through what he was doing. Now he plainly tells them. Similarly, when he is before Pilate, Pilate asks him that question again. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you this king that the people are saying and talking about? Uh, even though he was being rejected, Pilate was kind of seeing this contradiction before him, knowing he was fully convinced Jesus was innocent. He knew that the Pharisees had delivered him up because of jealousy. So if, they, if it didn't escape Pilate, it certainly didn't escape some of the people that were being honest with themselves. And Jesus also before Pilate plainly declares that he is king. Even in the mockery that the Jesus that Jesus suffered at the hands of the soldiers, we see here that the mockery is centered around kingly symbols. They put a purple robe on him. The purple robe was a symbol of royalty. Uh, Pilate may have worn one. Certainly other kings like Herod did. And, and so in this symbol, in mocking Jesus by putting this purple robe on him, even the crown, what does the crown symbolize? Even though it was meant in jest and meant as a mockery, still it is centered around kingly symbols. Even the charge of Jesus, the one that was the sign that was nailed on top of the cross, was uh, about king, the king of the Jews. That's what it said. You know, are you the king of the Jews? Like Pilate asked him, and that's what it read. Jesus Christ, king of the Jews, uh, written in three different languages. So everything about Jesus was centered around kingly symbols, even with the mockery. And so we see the issue of authority uh, front and center here in Matthew. There are at least five occasions in Matthew where authority becomes a major issue. And this again focuses on Jesus' right to rule. If he is king, if Jesus is really king, then he already has all the authority that he needs. But if he's an imposter, if he's a fraud, if he's a phony, then he wouldn't have any authority at all. Then the authority would be easily taken away from him. So we see five occasions that can kind of give us insight into that. 
we can see, and the people themselves in Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, realize how Jesus' teaching was very different from the Pharisees, from the rabbis, from the other rabbis, because he taught as one with authority. He had a certain aura about him. And by the sheer weight of his personality, his wisdom, the way that he interacted with people, they immediately recognize him as one of authority, one of power that was beyond anything they had ever seen. And this was later proven when Jesus healed uh, the lame man. Uh, and the Jews questioned his authority on forgiving sins because he just forgives him of the sins. Your sins are forgiven, Jesus says. And they said, well, who are you? Who gave you the authority to forgive sins? And uh, Jesus proved his authority by saying, well, you know, what about if I just heal him? Which is easier, to forgive him of his sins or to say, uh, take up your mat and walk? <laughs> that was a trick question. Coming soon, January 2022. Me, your host, Pedro Gelabert from the Long Island Church of Christ, will be reading with you the Bible in One Year, a chronological Bible reading using God's Word translation by God's Word to the Nation's Missions Society. Don't miss it. Subscribe to the podcast so that you can get the notification January 1st, 2022. God bless you. Because certainly one who has divine authority and power can only uh, tell somebody, pick up your mat and walk. And so he proves his authority to forgive sins by healing the lame man and showing his power, not only over disease, but also over evil spirits because he cast them out with ease. And nobody had ever seen that kind of teaching with authority where evil spirits fleed and where disease fled as well. Jesus had authority and only one who has authority is able to give authority because if you don't have authority, then much less can you give it. <laughs> but we see here Jesus giving authority in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He gave his disciples authority to cast out demons, authority to heal. Who can do that? Who can give someone authority over these things if not the one who has all authority given to him? And so, as we read at the end of Matthew, Jesus has all authority. As if they didn't already know, Jesus came and said to them after he was raised from the dead, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Only someone with divine authority can tell us, I'm going to be with you until the very end. We become part of this kingdom because we understand this gospel that we've been preached. Jesus Christ, that this Messiah, this God's chosen one, came to earth, was born as a man, not just to establish his kingdom and his rule, but to make us a part of it, to reintegrate us back into his kingdom because because of our sin, we had lost this vision. We, we were uh, trying to gain uh, or, or become kings, become uh, citizens of, 
of worldly kingdoms that ended when our lives ended or, or that ended at some point in time. But God came to restore that focus to him to humanity to say, hey, I'm still here. I am king. And so Jesus demonstrated the power that he had uh, to forgive our sins by dying on that cross, by becoming that substitutionary sacrifice and showing us that he has all authority to cleanse us because we cannot even cleanse ourselves. But Jesus came first and foremost to say, I am going to clean you. I want to reintegrate you into my kingdom. But we need to have that focus. We need to be those people who, who recognize that Jesus is king, that Jesus has that authority. What better a demonstration that he has that authority than the fact that he was raised from the dead on the third day? When he was raised from the dead, that proved our justification. That proved that what he came to do not only was the fulfillment of all of God's promises, but that it is true. That if nowadays I take this gospel and I believe it, and I want to be reintegrated into God's family as a child of the king, as a royal priest, then I want that forgiveness as well. So I want to uh, surrender my life voluntarily, my life that was focused on this earth and on earthly things. I surrender that in order to gain a more spiritual focus, a more spiritual life, and to now live this life in this body in the service of King Jesus. And so when we are baptized, as Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says, we are born again into newness of life. Now we are in the service of King Jesus. And it doesn't matter what country we live in. It doesn't really matter what we do here on earth. Look at us now, even connected via Zoom, via the internet, all together. This kingdom of God has no borders because it is a kingdom that, that is partly here right now, but its true rule is, is eternity, is at the feet of Jesus, and our King is already ruling from heaven, showing that He has all authority. He has divine authority. And so Jesus is the King of Kings. The fact of Jesus' kingship is one of the major issues in Matthew. And the people's reaction to that is another. <laughs> While Jesus is shown to be king in Matthew, the real issue is not the reality of his kingship so much as whether people will acknowledge him as such. And this is the battle that we find around ourselves now as well. We're in a battle, the constant battle on this earth, whether people are going to acknowledge Jesus' king, kingship, Jesus' rule, or whether they are not going to acknowledge it and fall under Satan's rule, really, is the only other domain. But, you know, a king reigns, and Jesus is reigning right now, and he is looking for subjects who will submit to his will. His will will be done, and he demands, as king, obedience, and he demands loyalty. So to say that Jesus is king immediately is to divide the world into those who will bow before him and those who will not. We see a similar line drawn in the sand in Matthew. We see some people in Matthew who bow to King Jesus, and not just people. We see nature. The, the disciples, when they were in the boat with Jesus, they were astonished. You know, his kingship, his authority was proven when he had total domain over the seas, over the wind, uh, when he had total domain over demons, over uh, the spiritual world, even over disease. 
right now, I mean, we think, right, with our technology that we have some domain and some authority over disease. We do not. <laughs> Let's be honest about that. But King Jesus has complete domain over all those things and things that we probably don't even know about yet. We also see people acknowledging Jesus' kingship, bowing down to him. The fishermen, who are the fishermen, of course, mostly his disciples. We see the faithful Roman centurion acknowledging Jesus' authority. We see the tax collector Matthew, who wrote Matthew, also acknowledging that. The Canaanite woman, again, acknowledging Jesus as king. And all the sick and the needy that fell at his feet, they recognized who the true king was, King Jesus. But there was a group who refused to bend the knee, and who still does. The Herod, for starters, he wanted to kill any kind of threat to his rule. And so he committed a very cruel act, similar to the Pharaoh when Moses was born, tried to kill all the children. Uh, the Gadarenes, or the region of the Gadarenes, when Jesus comes in there and heals the demon-possessed man, they were so afraid of what Jesus had done, they were like, no, 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 we don't want any of this. And they refused Jesus' kingship, as many towns did in Jesus' time and still today. Even his own hometown, Jesus was not recognized as a prophet, and they rejected him. We have a rich young man coming to Jesus, thinking that he's done everything right, but he fails to pass Jesus' test. He doesn't recognize Jesus' rule. Judas, in the inner circle, right there with Jesus, having witnessed all the signs of the Messiah, still refused. At the very end, he was tempted with money. He was tempted with power. I don't know what else he was tempted with, but he failed to bend the knee to Christ and instead bent the knee to himself. We know how that ended for him. Many religious leaders failed to bend the knee, as well as the crowds there that day before Pilate, where, you know, a few days before they were saying, Hosanna, son of David, welcome, welcome him, him into Jerusalem. Then days after that, they were like, crucify him, crucify him. So fickle, right? That, that herd mentality. We have to be careful not to get caught up in that herd mentality that one t at one moment we're worshiping God, then the next moment we're, we're not, you know. Uh, but all that, these, these people obviously sat in judgment of the obvious signs that God had provided for Jesus' authority. If they had a chance... Right now, they would all tell us, don't make the mistake that we did, because he is king. Just because these signs occurred a long time ago doesn't make them any less powerful, any less convincing, or any less relevant, because the kingdom of God keeps moving forward. So what are we going to do about all these things? The question that you have to ask yourself today and every single day, because Jesus is king, is what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with King Jesus? Are you going to recognize his authority? Are you going to say, you know what, I want in. I want to be a part of this kingdom because he is a merciful king. He's a king that put me first. I mean, he came and died on a cross to set me free. That's the kind of king I want, a king that understands me, a king that literally walked in my shoes, walked in my flesh and suffered for my cause to set me free. A king that never dies, a king that's going to usher me into the next reality. 
Is that the king that you're looking for? Or are you happy with other ceremonial figureheads of the talking heads that we have nowadays? Are you more satisfied with the expensive PR agents that vie for your attention here in the world? You know, uh, so what are you going to do with Jesus? Now I'm going to give you a hint. Bow down and worship. Pledge your life to his service. Promise to obey without question or delay and commit to yielding to this king's absolute authority. May you have a pleasant afternoon. God bless you all. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.